Well, thank you, uh, Pat and Zoe, and good evening, everyone. Good to see you all. I uh, hope most of you have been able uh, to have a nice day with your families and with your mothers. It wasn't our intent to do uh, to read out the Deuteronomy reading or to have this particular New Testament reading on Mother's Day, but it's worked out that way, and it's a good reminder for uh, all of us to make sure we honour uh, our parents. Uh, and particularly our mothers on Mother's Day as we think of them. But I want to pray in light of Psalm 119 as we start, because we'll see as we get stuck into this passage that, uh, that, that Jesus wants to help our eyes to see that what we need to hold to is God's commands. Uh, God's word is good, and we need to make sure we live by that word and uh, not by the word of man, not by uh, humankind's commands. So let me pray in light of Psalm 119. And then we'll jump into this passage together. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. Help us solemnly to keep your righteous judgments. Help us, Father, indeed, to have a great joy in our hearts and to resolve in our hearts to obey your statutes to the very end. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, I think you'll agree with me, nobody likes being called a hypocrite. Uh, it's, a, it's a really ugly thing for someone to say that of you, to call you a hypocrite. Uh, even the word itself, I find, is uh, quite confronting. It's just got this anger about it, you know, you hypocrite. Like, it just kind of gets you deep inside. Uh, but I don't know if you've seen this or found this, but it's a word that's often used uh, to describe the Christian So if you go home tonight, I mean, don't waste your time, but if you did and you went home and you Googled uh, Christian hypocrite, you'll see all these memes that pop up. These are the ones I found uh, on uh, Google. The the first one I saw was, I really enjoy your Christian posts on Facebook. Ever tried modifying your behavior to match? Now, there's a slap in the face. Uh, Or another one was, you go to church on Sunday while quietly stabbing me in the back on Monday. Uh, Or this is a well-known quote. And you might have heard it before, and it says this. It says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And uh, I must say, those sorts of quotes are both fair and very unfair. Because there are many in our world who who claim to follow Jesus, who say that they love God. But if you watch their behavior and you see their attitude, well, it's very far from what they confess. Where is their love for God? Where is their love for Christ in the way they behave? And uh, I can think of, my, uh, of examples in my own life where I've fallen short. Uh, sometimes someone I've known has known that I'm a Christian and I've said something or I've done something and they've said, well, that's a bit hypocritical. Aren't you a Christian? And uh, they've been right. And at those times we repent, we ask for forgiveness. But at other times the Christian is not really being a hypocrite at all. Because the Christian is, is the first to kind of put up their hand and say, and say, yes, I fall short of the glory of God. Uh, the Christian is someone who realizes we are sinful, that we're in desperate need of salvation. And again, I can think of uh, instances in my own life where this has happened, mostly from uh, my non-Christian family, where they've wanted to call me a hypocrite as a Christian, just for a bit of a joke and out of mockery. So they'd say to me, you know, ah, you're a Christian, you should wash my feet. Come on, come wash my feet. Or they'd say, you're a Christian, so you need to love me perfectly. So make my dinner and, and wash up and, uh, and then clean my house. And if you don't, you're being a hypocrite because you're a Christian. And it's all tongue in cheek and, and they do it for a bit of a laugh. But really they forget, no, the Christian is the first to confess, I am a sinner. I, I am impure. 
My heart is not right before God. Give me a new heart, God. I'm not being a hypocrite. I'm just, I realize my sinfulness. And it's our hearts that Jesus is teaching his disciples and us about today. And there are two main points I want us to learn. They're there on your outline. Uh, The first is the hypocrite's heart is far from God. And the second thing uh, I think Jesus is teaching us here is that sin comes from the heart. So that's the plan uh, for this evening. Make sure you've got the Bible there in front of you. As Ming said, uh, chapter 15, verse 5, that's where we're up to. Chapter 15, verse 5. And uh, as uh, it starts in chapter 15, in verse 1, if you have a look, you see that the Pharisees and scribes, they've come from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And it's pretty clear why they've come. Uh, If you're a Pharisee, Jerusalem, that's the center of the Jewish religion. That's your homeland. You don't go up to Galilee really for much else because there's not much in Galilee in the north. But they've gone there to see Jesus, to see what's going on with this Jesus guy. And the first thing they do is they begin uh, to find Jesus and to talk to him is that they accuse Jesus' disciples and by implication they accuse Jesus himself. So have a look at verse 2. The Pharisees, they go, they find Jesus and they ask him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. And again, there's no doubt uh, that as the Pharisees came to Jesus, they were there to accuse him. They're basically saying, hey, Jesus, your disciples, they're not kosher. Uh, Your disciples and you, you're not doing the right thing. You're not following the traditions of the elders. You should be washing your hands before you eat. Uh, In other words, they're kind of saying about Jesus, you're not a legitimate teacher of God. Because if you were, well, then you'd be following the traditions. And already, as the Pharisees come and uh, ask this question of Jesus and really accuse Jesus, you, you, you begin to see what their hearts are about. You begin to see the sorts of things that the Pharisees care about. Uh, now, I'm a big fan of clean hands. I think cleaning your hands is a good thing. Uh, I had a housemate once before I was married and I was flatting around. I had a housemate that uh, was very bad at washing his hands. And every time he had like a greasy pizza or greasy chips, he wouldn't wash his hands. And then he'd go play my Xbox And I don't know if you have siblings or people in your family that do this. I hate it. And you get the Xbox controllers later and they're so greasy and they're gross. And you're trying to hold the controller and it kind of pops out of your hand because it's so greasy. It's disgusting. I hate it. Uh, I'm a fan of washing hands. Washing hands. It's a good thing. I tell my kids, before you eat, go wash your hands. But these are Pharisees. These are teachers of God's word. And what they care about is washing hands. You see, if if they went to Jesus and said, well, why are your disciples so ungodly? Why are are your disciples so uh, unrighteous in their behavior? Or why are your disciples so unloving and smug? Well, that would be an important thing to raise. But now what they care about is tradition. What they care about is this teaching that they had, this ritual they had about cleaning hands. And uh, Jesus, in classic Jesus style, what he does is he answers their question with another question. So have a look at verse 3. Verse 3, he, Jesus, Jesus answered them, and why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and your mother, and the one who speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. And before we uh, try to understand why Jesus answers with that particular command and uh, try to understand the detail here, what I want us to notice is, is, the, is Jesus tells us there the important thing from the beginning in verse 3. You see, the problem is 
that they are breaking God's commandments because of their tradition. That's the problem. And uh, this, this is a real problem that, that has showed itself over and over again in the history of the church, sadly. And uh, it shows itself in, in each and every generation. And there are heaps of examples I could uh, give to you now of how there's a, a man-made rule that's been imposed on the church. But really, it's not what God's word says. And really, it's breaking God's good commands. Uh, there are lots of examples, but I want to give you one that you might not know about. And uh, that is in the 18 or 19, uh, 1800s and the 1900s. It was a practice in some churches to pay for your pew, to pay for your seat in church. Uh, and the rule was no rent, no pew. You want to come to church? You've got to pay for your spot. Uh, so if you wanted to come to church tonight and be in the seat that you're seated in right now, you have to rent it. You have to pay your money so that it's reserved for you. And uh, part of why they did that at first was to help raise funds for the church and for ministry. And, uh, and part of it was to help people be regular in their giving. But very quickly it became abused. Uh, very quickly it became a scheme for the rich. And so the richer you were, the more money you had. And so you could get the seats right near the front of church. And you'd have the seats of honor near the front of church, which really laughs in the face of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 11. Uh, if you remember, Jesus has a go at the places of honor and seeking the places of honor. But it got worse than that because uh, the rich people of that time, they sometimes had other things to do on the weekend. They owned weekend uh, holiday houses. And so instead of being at church, they'd go somewhere else for the weekend. And while they were away, their rented pew would sit empty. And there were stories of people who were outside the church who wanted to come in, but there was no room left. And so they couldn't go in. They, they couldn't hear God's word that day. And you can see a number of issues there, like what happens to love of brother and sister in Christ? What happens of being the family of God and being one together? Uh, what happens uh, for having a love for the lost so they might come in to church and hear the gospel? And what happened to God loving a cheerful giver rather than, than forcing someone to pay for a, for a pew so they might give in that way? But that's what happened. I don't know if you think this, I think that's absurd. It's hard to imagine that churches would do that, but they did. Uh, this was the practice. And those sorts of things have happened over and over again in the history of the church. Man-made rules have been imposed at the expense of God's word. And uh, that's what's happening here with the scribes and Pharisees. That's what Jesus is having a go at. And uh, it's a little bit tricky, but Jesus explains. Uh, it's a bit complicated, but he explains how they're doing this. And so have a look at verse 5. Verse 5. Uh, so Jesus, he's, he's just quoted the fifth commandment, honor your mother and your father. And in verse 5, he says this, verse 5, But you, you Pharisees and scribes say, Whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple, well, that person, he does not have to honor his father or his mother, for that matter. In this way, you have revoked God's words because of your tradition. And again, it's a little bit tricky. And uh, Mark chapter 7, if you have a time, uh, look at it later. But it gives us a bit more background to what's happening here. But basically, the, the teaching of the elders of that time was that a person could make a vow to God about their possessions. They could make a vow to God that when they died, their possession would become part of God's temple. And uh, could be sold or utilized to benefit God's temple and the temple work. It was earmarked as God's. 
So let me give you an example. Uh, imagine I owned a field. Uh, I've got lots of fields. So I've got 10 fields and I own a field. And uh, I use the fields to, to plant my crops in and to make money for myself. But then I vow with one of my particular fields that when I die, that's going to go to God's temple. You know, I want to be a good person. I say, oh, I vow that this, this field will be God's. Uh, and in the meantime, I still get to use the field. I still get to plant crops there. I still get to make money out of it. But imagine also at the, at the same time, my parents have no way of earning money. So my mum and dad, they don't have a job or they're too old to work. And they don't, ha- they don't have any fields of their own. So they have no money, no income. And a good thing for me to do to honor my parents would be to give them my field. To, to let them have it so they could earn money for themselves. And, you know, my parents have paid their way for me. They've, uh, they've helped raise me as a child. They've cared for me. They've housed me. It's an honorable thing to do. Uh, a good application of the fifth commandment would be to honor my parents by giving them this field. But I've already vowed it to God. So I can't. That's what the tradition of the elders taught. And even if I wanted to, I can't because I've already vowed it to God. And it's easy to see how you could abuse this. So if you didn't like your parents very much, or perhaps if you were very greedy and you wanted all the money for yourself instead of doing the honorable thing and caring for your parents, well, you could go, ah, my parents might want that field. So what I'll do is I'll vow it to God. And so that way they can't get it. And I can decide what I do with that money. And that's what people did. That seems to be the sort of thing that Jesus is having a go at. You would, you would follow the tradition of the elders really in a way that, that actually then contradicted God's word. And again, we don't know exactly what the different practices might have been, but Jesus makes it really clear at the end of verse 6, the problem. Look again at the end of verse 6. This is the, the, the heart of the problem. Jesus says, in this way, whatever it is you might be doing, you have revoked God's word because of your tradition. That's the problem. You've added this man-made tradition at the expense of what God actually says. And so Jesus, he calls them out. Have a look at verse 7. He calls them out. Verse 7, hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. And this is really the heart of the matter. You see, their hearts are far from God. And because their hearts are far from God, all that they do in worship, whatever their religious practices were, whatever their lips might confess, all of it's in vain. Their, 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 religion, their religious acts are just in vain because their hearts are not for God. Uh, I've got this distinct memory from when I was in early high school, and uh, I might embarrass myself a little bit here, but that's okay. And uh, when I was in early high school, I've got this memory of uh, just randomly starting to pray. I thought this might be a good thing to pray. I wasn't a Christian or anything like that. I didn't grow up a Christian. And uh, before you think it was a good thing that I was praying, it really wasn't. Uh, I had this uh, plastic necklace cross in my bedroom. I'd had it since I was uh, a little kid, five or six or something like that. And it was just this decoration piece in my bedroom. It was this plastic necklace cross thing. And uh, I remember uh, thinking, ah, if I pray, if I want to pray, well then, 
maybe I should put this necklace on because I'd seen other people have necklaces uh, with crosses on them. I remember I had a family friend who every time an ambulance drove by, they would grab the cross on their neck and, and pray. And uh, I'd seen in movies the kind of rosemary bead things. Maybe I watched too many mafia movies, I don't know. But I'd seen people use these things to pray with. So I said, oh, that's what I've got to do. So I tried to put it on my head, uh, but I, I couldn't actually put it over my head because it was a plastic decoration, so I couldn't actually get it around my neck. So I just left it on my head, and it was kind of hanging in front of me, and the cross bit was hanging around here somewhere. And uh, I thought, well, this is what you need to do. So I prayed. And uh, I didn't pray to God to help me to live his way. Uh, I didn't pray to God to make himself known to me. Uh, I'm pretty sure I prayed about some girl I liked and uh, some stuff that I wanted. And again, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I had no idea what I was doing. And the whole time I was doing it, my heart was not interested in God at all. It was was completely interested in me. That's the only reason I was doing it. And it was completely in vain. It was just some stupid religious practice. And, you know, I can look back at that and laugh, and you can laugh at my stupidity. But, But that is how absurd it is. When people confess God with their lips, uh, when they talk to God in their prayers, when they practice their religious practice in the name of Jesus, and yet their hearts are actually far from God. See, they, they do all their worship, but if their hearts are not for God, it's in vain. It, it means nothing. That They may as well have a plastic cross on their head. You see, this is the real warning here for all those who honor God with their lips and who honoured Jesus with their lips, and yet their hearts are far away. Uh, do you remember what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7? They're, uh, they're famous words. You might remember them up on the screen. Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. You see, we can do all sorts of things in the name of Jesus, but if it's not the will of God as revealed in his word, and if our hearts are far from God, it's in vain. Now, I don't believe uh, this is a problem with us here at Snack. I don't, I don't see hearts here and in our church that are far from God, but it's still a good reminder. Uh, see, what God desires is our hearts. It is a genuine love for him and, as a result, a genuine love for others, uh, for each other, that comes from the heart. And this is what was lacking in the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, do you remember last year we looked at Matthew chapter 12? And uh, Jesus healed this man who had this impairment. And uh, Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees at the time, instead of celebrating and going, praise God, this man has been healed, what did they do? They accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath law. And it wasn't even God's version of the Sabbath law that, uh, that Jesus broke, but their extended version of the Sabbath law. And surely if they loved this man and had a love for people, instead of accusing Jesus at a good thing, at a loving thing, they would have celebrated with this man. He was healed. You see, the Pharisees, they claimed to be teachers of God's law, and yet they failed to put into practice one of the clearest of God's laws, love neighbor. And uh, I must admit, whenever we start talking about uh, Pharisees and scribes and the elders in the New Testament and in the Gospels in particular, it's very easy to kind of get stones and, and chuck stones at the Pharisees. 
It's very easy to throw stones at them. But then I think of those times when I failed to love God as I should. I think of those times when I've failed to love others and I've, I've whinged about people and I've complained about people. Uh, and we do this in church. I've done this in church. Uh, I can think of times where I've thought things or said things like, why can't they be more like this? Why is that person so annoying? Uh, well, why can't they do it like that? And very quickly we become like the Pharisees, insisting on what we want, uh, demanding what I might like. But isn't it much better to think... How can I love this person? How can I help this person grow in their love for Jesus? How can my heart be close to God and be aligned with God and so love this person and love God and please him rather than do what I want? And that's what Jesus goes on to warn us about next. Because the Pharisees and the scribes, they had, the, they had it all the, the wrong way around. Uh, it wasn't what comes outside that's the problem but what comes from inside. And again, it's the human heart that Jesus uh, teaches us about and the problem he teaches us about. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. Summoning the crowd, Jesus told them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. And uh, this, this uh, kind of issue around defilement or being unclean or impure, it was a big deal for the Pharisees. Uh, they loved to teach about cleanliness. And uh, they would teach that uh, if your hands weren't clean and you had dirty hands and then you touched your dinner or your lunch or breakfast or whatever bit of food you're about to eat, because your hands are unclean, when you touch that food, the food becomes unclean. And then when you eat the unclean food, because you eat it and it's unclean, then you become unclean. That's what they taught. And because of that, you'd be defiled. You'd be impure before God. And uh, there are commands in the Old Testament about washing your hands and washing your feet. But that was for the priests. And, uh, and the priest was to do that only when he was uh, about to enter the tent of meeting or enter God's temple. And they would do that as a symbol, uh, as a symbol of needing to, to be clean before God, before entering God's presence. But what the Pharisees and the scribes did is they, they made that a rule for everyone. That everyone had to do this thing. That everyone had to have clean hands before they ate. And if they didn't, well, you're defiled. You're impure. You know, if you don't do the right thing, well, then God won't have anything of you. But here is where Jesus basically says, no. You're completely wrong, you teachers of the law. The, the reverse is true. It's not the external that defiles, but what comes from within the internal. And uh, I don't think we quite realize how radical it was for Jesus to say what he did. The, the, the Pharisees at that time, they, they were the religious leaders of the Jewish people. Uh, to accuse them of teaching wrongly, well, you just, you don't, don't do that. You can't say that. And this issue of, of uh, this issue and, and teaching around cleanliness and washing, it was the norm. They were so used to this. that This was the done thing. And you can tell by uh, the disciples' reaction how very radical uh, it was for uh, what Jesus said. And uh, you know when someone says something very edgy and they say something very un-PC and uh, controversial and you kind of just cringe a bit and you go, no, you didn't just say that, did you? You can't say that. Well, that's the disciples. Look at verse 12. See, after Jesus says what he says, verse 12, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard this with what you said? To which Jesus could not really care. Why? Because what they were teaching was simply 
wrong. And what it did is, is it created a bunch of religious zealots who were all about fulfilling religious deeds and religious acts all the while with their hearts so far from God. And Jesus knows what will ultimately happen to those who, who insist on that kind of teaching of the command of men at the expense of the word of God. Because look at verse 13. Verse 13. Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, well, both will fall into a pit. And so let them be offended. Let, let, let them be embarrassed and exposed before the crowds with what I said about them and calling them hypocrites. And if they want to continue leading each other astray with these religious uh, teachings and these ridiculous teachings and with pomp and, and status and, uh, and all, the, all the hoo-ha that comes with that, well, the pit will be their end. They will be uprooted outside the kingdom of God. So that's how serious it is to, to teach the commands of men at the expense of what God's word actually says. But it's what Jesus says next that I want to focus on uh, as we finish. Because, again, it might surprise us, but the, the disciples, they don't quite get what Jesus means. What do you mean it's what comes from within that defiles us? We don't understand. And again, it just comes to show how ingrained the teaching of the Pharisees must have become. Uh, which is another warning for us. We can be so blind and so stuck in our ways of doing things. We can have our own traditions that actually God's word doesn't teach or doesn't demand, and yet we insist on them. Uh, it's the, the constant warning here to make sure that we're holding to God's word and not to extra things, which is why we keep coming back to God's word. But the disciples, they don't quite get what Jesus is teaching. So verse 16, Jesus makes it clear. Look at verse 16. He says to them, Are even you still lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that whatever goes into the, the mouth, whatever comes from the outside and goes into the mouth, passes into the stomach and is eliminated? And now this is where sometimes I wish our Bible translations were more literal. Uh, that The literal uh, reading there is, passes into the stomach and is expelled into the pit toilet, uh, which I think would be every kid's favorite Bible verse. But uh, verse 18, look at verse 18. But, Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a man. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And so again, they've got it the wrong way around. The problem is not out there, but here. And uh, it's interesting to think about our society at the moment. And uh, think about how our society is so slow and so blind to see that the problem comes from within. Because today our society is so quick to blame everyone else. I don't know if you guys have, have seen and observed this, but our society is so quick to play the victim. You know, it's, it's the government's fault. Uh, it's, it's, it's the parents' fault. It's, it's the school teachers' fault. And if only the government would make it better. If only we would better educate our teachers. If only we would get rid of, of privilege and entitlement. And, and they, are, they are real problems and there are problems in those spheres. But it's always, if only they out there would do things better, then I wouldn't be the victim. Then, 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 then all things would be better. But oh, the hypocrisy. Because all of it, all the problems of our world stems from our human hearts. That's where it all comes from. 
It all comes from us internally. You see, from the heart, Jesus says, come evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. And if we hear that list, we might be tempted to think, well, that's, that's the person over there. See, Jesus is not talking about me because that's the murderers. And uh, that's, that's those men and women who cheat on their husbands and their wives. And that's the con artist who extorts millions from others. Well, if we think that, we need to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we need to go back to our uh, Ten Commandments series because Jesus says, no, no, every human heart has this problem of sin. We're all the same. And so Jesus is teaching a very important lesson. The biggest danger we all face is from within. Because what defiles a person before God and makes us unworthy before God and worthy of judgment comes from our hearts. And we can blame the world and uh, people can blame the devil even. But the world and the devil, they are simply pulling on the human heartstring. And that's the first thing we must learn from Jesus' words here in point three on your outline. The first thing we must learn is that we are all defiled before God. So praise God for Jesus. You see, the problem for the Pharisees and the scribes and sadly for billions in our world today is that they don't want to admit what's plainly true. We are sinners. And try as we might, no external practice, no religious ritual, or even to be very un-PC, no self-righteous wokeness, none of that will ever change the fact that the problem is with us. And so I think in light of that, all we can do as Christians is praise God for Jesus. Because only in Christ can we be forgiven of that sin. Only by the death of Jesus can that sin that defiles us be washed away so that we might not stand before God unworthy and defiled, but pure and blameless, all because of Christ. And only in Christ can our hearts be made new. And it's a, that's the second thing we learn from this passage, that God wants genuine hearts that are for him. And if you know your Bible world, that's nothing new. What did God want of Old Testament Israel? He wanted people whose love was for him with all their hearts and minds and soul and strength. People who desired his glory and because they earnestly desired God's glory, they loved other people because of their love for God. And that is what stops the Christian from being a hypocrite. It doesn't mean we always get it right. It doesn't mean we, we never sin and we never make a mistake and, and that sin is no more. But if our hearts are for God... And if we genuinely desire God's glory, then we'll never be proud in and of ourselves. We'll never be judgmental when someone walks into our church or we see them on the street and we think, oh, they're a bit shifty. I'll stay away from that person. No, because we know our own hearts. We know how much God has forgiven us in Jesus. And we'll never practice man-made religion or worship in vain because we know no amount of religion, no amount of doing or rule-keeping will ever make us worthy before God. Only Jesus can do that. That's what the Pharisees didn't get. And we will genuinely love others. Because the person whose heart is for God asks not, how might I love myself more? What do I like? What do I want? What, what, why don't they do as me? No, the person who loves God asks, how might I love them? How might I, I help them to grow as Christ? You see, Peter in his letter is right. Love does cover a multitude of sin. And a love that is for God 
lives for God and for others to the glory of God. Well, let me pray that God might help us with our hearts. Well, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this reminder from your word that in and of ourselves, our human hearts are defiled. Uh, Please help us not to be like the Pharisees and the scribes who thought that they could make themselves clean before you while all the time forgetting that their hearts were stained and unclean. Father, help us to be people who, because of Christ, have new hearts and so have hearts that genuinely want to serve you, that genuinely want to love you and so love others. Please help us by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.